I'm Dr. Ward Bond, and I welcome you to Life-Changing Wellness, Episode 15. Today, we talk with a well-known celebrity chef and certified nutritionist, Ariane Resnick, who overcame Lyme's disease and chemical poisoning and led her to help others achieve better health. So stay tuned for this life-changing episode. This is Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness. Life-Changing Wellness. Here's Dr. Ward Bond. Well, welcome everyone to the today's show. And before we begin, if you could just do me a favor, please head over to iTunes after the interview with my guest today, rate and review the show for me, which I would greatly appreciate. And I encourage you to look up my show page on radiomd.com slash Dr. Bond. Well, today my guest is Ariane Resnick, a special diet chef and certified nutritionist who develops accessible organic farm-to-table recipes and creates indulgent, seemingly normal food out of impeccably clean whole food ingredients. She has cooked for celebrities that include Pink, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Chris Martin, to name a few. And Ariane has been featured in the media such as Cosmopolitan, CBS's The Doctors, ABC News and Forbes, Shape Magazine, and Food Network's Chopped. She is also a survivor of late-stage Lyme's disease and chemical poisoning and recovered holistically from those conditions. And both of her books, The Bone Broth Miracle and The Thinking Girl's Guide to Drinking, are Amazon number one bestsellers. Welcome to the show, Ariane. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's start off talking about the two illnesses that you went through. What happened? Uh, they were not together. They happened separately. So I, um, I came down with Lyme in a way that is growing increasingly more common where you don't know that you got it. Um, there's acute Lyme and there's late stage Lyme. And acute Lyme is what we're all familiar with where you know you got bit by a tick, you get a bullseye rash, you have a fever, you have a couple weeks of severe illness, you figure out what's going on. Typically, they give you a month of antibiotics, and typically, you get better. Uh, unfortunately, that's not how it tends to happen all the time, and it's growing increasingly more common to not be aware that you had a tick bite or a mosquito bite because you don't get sick. And then at some point later in your life, usually during a period of stress, you begin slowly and mysteriously getting more and more ill. So that's what happened to me. And the real difficulty with that is it's very hard to diagnose because the symptoms can be so varied. So you're typically sick for a good long while before you even find out what happened. Oh, my gosh. How, how in the world did you get diagnosed with late-stage Lyme disease? I went from doctor to doctor and Google search to Google search until um, it was actually my partner at the time who said, maybe that's what you have. And the thing with Lyme is it does not show on a regular blood test. You need a specific type of lab with a specific light in order to see it. So I ended up finding a doctor who did testing for that and was positive for both Lyme and uh, one of the blood parasite co-infections that tends to go along with it. And while they were progressive in terms of being, you know, a doctor, it was still, they offered only a very conventional form of treatment. And I grew up in a very holistic home. My mom ran a co-op out of our basement. We had no commercial food. 
so I knew upon being told what my only treatment option, according to them, was, which was years of multiple antibiotics at once, that that was not going to be the road that I took. And thankfully, I had a family that was incredibly supportive and very into doing their own research as well. So we came up with holistic options for me instead. And I was able to make uh, what that doctor ended up considering one of his strongest recoveries without any Western medicine. Wow. So did you just do this strictly on diet or did you incorporate any type of herbal medicine at all? Yeah, there was diet and supplements and all kinds of wacky, holistic things that, <laughs> you know, make us all kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> I got you. Well, I, I believe in that wacky stuff, so... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's, there's, there's a big list of it, and um, thank heavens, it's, it's a lot more effective when you haven't gone the long-term antibiotics route first, and I ended up being so, so grateful that I didn't, because when all was said and done, I didn't have a ravaged digestive system which the people who are on years of intravenous antibiotics do have. So I was able to recover completely from the Lyme, and I really felt that I learned a lot from it in terms of it just made me a better person. It was, really? um, it was a, yeah, it was a very unique experience where afterwards people said, I'm so sorry you went through that, and I was like, no, it was great, because I really needed some humbling. And it forces that on you. And I had spent most of my 20s modeling, and people would ask me all the time, how do you stay so thin? And I would just say, don't eat so much, with <laughs> no compassion and no understanding. And right. all of a sudden, here I was, you know, 20, 30 pounds, heavier of a person, unable to do anything about it, and finally realized, oh, our bodies don't necessarily just do what we tell them to. You were really lucky that yours did, but that's unique. That's not well, normal. Did, well, did you gain the weight during uh, having the late-stage Lyme disease? I did, or? yeah, because it, it killed my thyroid. Oh, well, there's so, another topic of discussion right there. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's just one example of the many ways that I ended up a much happier person afterwards, and I still didn't feel that I particularly had a purpose. I just felt like I was a better person. So I was well for actually less than a year before I moved into a home that had a gas leak. Oh. And I ended up with six months of slow, low-dose uh, carbon monoxide and combustion byproduct poisoning. Well, so, so did you think... To well, did that actually, did that make you believe that maybe your therapy to overcome Lyme's disease was not working? Was this kind of overlapping no. one another? That was, um, that was suggested by everyone. Well, maybe this is just the return of the Lyme disease, but oh. everything was so different. I didn't have any crossover symptoms, and I knew that it was my environment. And um, my partner, who I was with, also, we, we knew that something was wrong in our home, and then her cat died of kidney failure. Well, there's a sort sign. Sort of out of the blue. So we, um, <laughs> we knew that things weren't okay. It, uh, it just took about six months for them to find out what the problem was, because typically if you have a gas leak, you have a big gas leak, and everybody yeah. gets real sick and quite often perishes 
immediately. And ours was a very small, minor situation compared that was just slowly poisoning us. So when we were able to eventually get the problem diagnosed and have them fix it, and I began, again, going back to Western medicine saying, hey, I know what's wrong now. Can you fix me? No one had any idea what to do with me because surviving that isn't common. So so how did this lead you into becoming the chef that you are today? So I spent some time uh, figuring out, again, holistically on my own, how to get better. And when I did, I made um, a very slow recovery where I, my brain was in such a state that I actually had a written diagnosis from Peter Sinai of Alzheimer's. Oh. So being able to make an, a 180 absolute sheer recovery was, um, was really pivotal. And in that, I realized that I have a good ability to get better. And maybe that has something to do with why I'm here and helping others be better. And food is just what I do instinctively. I never wanted to be a chef. I just always somehow, no matter what else I did with my life, landed back in a kitchen. Wow. Cooking in some way. I had a food business for a while. I'd done a lot of private chef work. I'd been a restaurant chef. I just, no matter how much I tried to not be a chef, I ended up a chef again. And well, then, when I how got, did you? Go ahead. Well, how did you embrace it? Realizing that if I was here to help people feel better, I should probably go the route of the thing that came the most natural to me, which was feeding them. Good and idea. When I put two and two together, things started happening really magically on their own. In terms of the outside world finding me. Well, yeah, it's amazing that, you know, and I've, I talked to a lot of people that, you know, like yourself, uh, ended up with a, a condition or a disease and in a way embraced the adversity that actually became and birthed their purpose in life. And for and you... That's the purpose of, of getting so sick, I think, is to learn what we what we could have learned easily, but we're probably usually stubborn people who refuse. Oh, well, yeah, I know some people just basically, I hate to say it, uh, receive a diagnosis and take it as instant defeat and die, and others will look at it in its face and think, I'm going to beat you. And um, did you have that same spirit that you were going to beat it no matter what? I found that. Uh, I didn't have it initially, and I think that's where family and friends and your, your world and your personal spiritual practice all come in, because it's incredibly tempting when you are diagnosed with something to head straight to the Internet and look at the statistics and be crestfallen by them. And I think that it takes, it takes support around you, and it takes finding your own sense of, you know, I can do this. And we all have it, this sort of, you know, recovery molecule inside us that, that guides us forward. But some people just have easier access to it than others. And I'm very grateful that I operated from a perspective of, I can do anything. We can all do anything. You just have to figure out how. And you keep trying different things until eventually something is the thing that's right for you. And 
what's right for one person isn't right for another. So there has to be this level of open-mindedness that as long as you can recover, you will find a way how. Oh, I love that. I love that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a very big uh, supporter for people to find their purpose. And sometimes you just have to keep pushing, keep moving forward, and e- eventually it will be revealed to you. And for some cases, it, it, re- it reveals itself maybe uh, before we even know it. Maybe other people see it. And I think in your case, I think a lot of people probably saw your, your talent in the kitchen and you basically took that and now using that talent to uh, change people's lives. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I definitely, um, once I found it, it all sort of fell into place on its own and it's been a really interesting journey where everything that's happened in the last few years since then just sort of fell in my lap. I've never gone out of my way to find any of it. Well, you know, in the last four years, you know, I think life has been a complete whirlwind for you since getting well. I mean, you've you've cooked for many celebrities. You've written uh, best-selling cookbooks. You speak at multiple conferences. And, of course, you've counseled hundreds of people to help them recover from their own ailments. I mean... How do you take all of that in stride and uh, keep up with a very demanding life that people want to know what you do and want to seek your expertise? I think I've been very fortunate to have seen so many different lifestyles by doing private work where you're cooking in people's homes. So I've seen I've been in 600 square foot apartments where someone, you know, bought brunch breakfast for their loved one, you know, in bed. And I've been in 30,000 square foot mansions where there were 30 housekeepers on hand at any moment. And I've seen how people live and I've seen what lifestyles can do to you and for you and against you. And it's given me the opportunity to really choose how I handle life and to really always pick, remembering that we're all just people doing the best we can with our lives. We have this idea in our heads of, well, you have money, you must be happy, or, well, you're famous, you must be happy. And those things just aren't true. The happiness we have inside is the happiness we cultivate inside. And I feel that I've been incredibly blessed to be able to see so well so many examples of how I do and don't want to live. I I truly believe that. You know, a lot of people believe that for those that are considered affluent would be incredibly healthy, but they're not. And, you know, for those that do embrace a healthier lifestyle, more power to them. But uh, like you said, we can find that within ourselves. And for a lot of people out there and for all of you who are listening to this episode today, just remember, it doesn't matter what is in your bank account or the size of your bank account. It's you that makes the choice to be healthy or not, or to be happy or not. It doesn't come down to the dollar. It comes down to what's inside your heart and how you view life. And, uh, and I think uh, with you, you know, we need to be an encouragement, and I think you are that. Thank you. That's very sweet. Thank you. <laughs> well, you're very well. well, let me ask you this, because I know that you use writing uh, as a way to cast a very wide net. You write recipes for brands and you write nutrition articles for magazines and websites. And it enables you to bring your message that eating, uh, well, it can and should be a joyful experience, uh, especially when 
people actually learn how to cook for themselves. Yes. I think that um, we tend to find the idea that if this is good for me, it's probably not going to taste good and it's going to take more work. We tend to find that kind of daunting. So I've really found that if you just present people with easy recipes made with things they can buy at any grocery store, it doesn't have to be a health food store, they're a lot more likely to make it. And when they're more likely to make it, they're more likely to eat it and enjoy it. And then the better they feel from eating it, the easier it is for them to do it again. So I very much have used the platform of being a chef and having celebrity names behind me to gain that credibility needed to get the other platforms of writing where people understand, oh, you have something to say, maybe I should listen to this. And you're able to reach so many more people because cooking directly for someone or teaching someone directly how to cook is a wonderful experience and you're changing their lives. But that's so few people. Whereas an article on the internet that when someone looks up a recipe for something, you're what they find, that's really countless how many people you can affect. And that to me was the greater goal, was to help people take little steps to make their lives better. They don't always need to be this huge overhaul where, you know, one day you eat junk food and the next day you only go to Whole Foods. It's, it's the little steps <laughs> that make a difference. Well, I completely agree with that. I get the question all of the time when people come to me and they say, Dr. Bond, how do I how do I change my diet? And I'm like, let's mm. get rid of the word diet and talk about lifestyle. And, and I yeah. believe and I agree wholeheartedly with what you have to say, because you said taking those small steps. And for a lot of people, I tell them, just start off with breakfast, get that under control, get yeah. it to where it's healthy and you live it. it. You don't think twice about it. And then you move to lunch. And eventually when you get to dinner, the whole day is healthy and every day becomes a lifestyle. It's just like you're, you're breathing, you're walking, you don't think twice about it. And you leave the M&Ms and the, the Twinkies behind and you don't look in that direction anymore because it no longer interests you because that's not who you are anymore. So I love your message. Thank you. That's, that's exactly my method. I actually start with coffee. What do you put <laughs> <Yeah>. in your coffee? <laughs> yeah, Before I did my coffee. <laughs> well, well, I'm going to bring this up real quick because I also did my bone broth this morning. And I know that you wrote a book on bone broth. And how did it make a difference in your life? Oh, it was, um, it was a huge experience for me because I was a vegetarian for many, many 20-something years. My parents had been. And I only started cooking meat because I was doing special diet chef work, which tends to involve people with illnesses and people were requesting bone broth. And I started to see how it made a difference in other people's health. And it was really mind-blowing to see how something so simple made of things that we generally throw away, we're turning people's lives around. And I got really into it. And I ended up reframing my really just entire thought process around what foods can cultivate wellness because I had been brought up to think only plant foods can be yeah. a factor in your wellness. And right. I, you know, I, I believe a lot of people have, you know, you know, God bless the vegan, but... Um, <laughs> Sometimes I think a little bit of the thinking needs to change in that area because, like you said, you know, mm -hmm. bone broth, and you wrote the book. You said you wrote a book, and it's literally titled The Bone Broth Miracle. <laughs> so that tells me that you are a big believer in what this food has to offer. 
I am because I've seen it. I saw it over and over, and it forced me to realize there's clearly something here. And then when you look into it, it's been a part of every culture basically forever. So usually what we've done historically all over the world as humanity isn't wrong. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. And I'm going to I'm going to throw this question out here to you because I am so intrigued and interested. What made you write a book called The Thinking Girl's Guide to Drinking? <laughs> when I did the Bone Broth Miracle, um, the final chapter was Bone Broth Cocktails. And the number one question I would get when I was interviewed about the book was about that chapter. And I was met repeatedly with shock at the fact that I consumed alcohol. But you're a nutritionist. But you're a health food chef. But you've gotten over illnesses. How could you drink? And my answer over and over in shock back was, well, I'm a human. I'm still allowed <laughs> to have a nice time. I'm still allowed to, you know, have some involvement in things that are considered vices or less than perfect. Why else would I be here if I had to just be miserable? So I really just kind of springboarded off of that idea and came up with, well, what if I could show people that there are countless ways to have healthier cocktails and you could consume all sorts of ingredients along with the alcohol that tends to mitigate some of its negative effects. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, and it then, was, it was a really fun book to write. <laughs> I, be, I bet it was. Now, here's what I want to know. Can you share with all of us uh, a one quick cocktail recipe that, uh, well, I don't know, uh, make us feel relaxed in the evening, have a good time, and no guilt? <laughs> I mean, no guilt is a matter of perspective. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, and, yeah, it's also a matter of what, what you're looking to get out of things and what your specific issues that alcohol tends to cause for you are. So for people who have a hard time with how it gets rid of your good gut bacteria, I think that kombucha is sort of the ideal mixer. Oh, good and point. I, I do something for in the book for people who aren't used to kombucha because it is such a different sort of taste um, in making a root beer float out of it. Really? And it's vanilla ice cream and root beer kombucha and bourbon. So it's totally indulgent of a dessert with just a little bit of something that helps make things not quite so bad. Wow. Now, now you have me interested. Now I, I'm literally going to buy your book today just so I could get that recipe and check it out because I like kombucha. And, and you know, it kind of, it, the, the thought when you were talking about overcoming especially Lyme's disease, that you are most likely focusing on gut health because, you know, antibiotic therapy will kill it all. Mm -hmm. And, the, you know, the, the gut itself is the heart of the immune system. So when you have a strong gut, the rest of the body falls into line. And people who stay sick with Lyme often aren't even sick with Lyme anymore. They've killed it. They just can't recover because they have no immune system and they have no digestive system left because it becomes so ravaged by the drugs. So that is definitely a focal point for really almost anything going wrong with you is what's happening in there. 
Oh, girl, just keep preaching that message. I could, <laughs> I literally, because I, you know, it, it, you know, I know that uh, Dr. David Perlmutter and others have written on gut health, relationship mm-hmm. to the brain, but I think a lot of the focus needs to be on gut health and immune system function. You know, it's kind of like a, you know, cancer patients. So they need to focus on gut health because. For for everyone, I mean, every person that walks the planet, if we all focused on gut health, I literally believe that we could cut disease in half, if not more than half, and have healthier people and less people in hospitals. Oh, for sure. And we're learning. I love how much the science around it is changing and growing constantly. You know, probiotics are now almost common, but prebiotics is still sort of a buzzword. There's, well, there's so much more that we find out. Well, yeah, you have kombucha, you have kimchi, I mean, the sauerkraut, I mean, the list just goes on and on. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, let me ask you this real quick. Uh, I know that we're almost out of time, but uh, are you ever going to have your own television show? Because I would watch. I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. You know, the, um, the downside to the approach that you let whatever happens happens and it all just falls in your lap is that sometimes it hasn't fallen in your lap yet. So um, that's, that's always been the plan. I think that um, my first cookbook, one of the things I mentioned, is that since I started cooking, in my mind, as I do it, I've been relaying instructions to an invisible audience. So oh. that made writing about it really easy because I already felt like that's what I do in my head as it's happening. So um, it seems like a very natural progression to me. Oh, fantastic. Well, I want to thank you, Ariane, for coming on to the show today. You have just been a, uh, you've been so enlightening, and uh, I think you have brought a lot of information that that will inspire many, many people from just listening to this episode. So I want to thank you for uh, uh, coming on and sharing with all that you have. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, thank you so much. And remember, everyone, to catch every episode of Life-Changing Wellness, just hit subscribe on iTunes or on my show page at RadioMD.com slash Dr. Bond. And if I can ask you a favor, please take 30 seconds and rate the show on iTunes. The reason being is we want to attract more people like you, your family, your friends, your colleagues. And the only way that we can do that is for you to rate it and review it so the show gets more visibility. And again, I greatly appreciate all of my listeners to life-changing wellness you can learn more about me at drwardbond.com and check out my show page again at radiomd.com forward slash dr bond or itunes for all of my episodes and again check out go to amazon.com get those books from ren and just learn more about bone broth but uh I'm going to have to check out that cocktail book she wrote. That is just an awesome, awesome book there. I've got to check it out. But again, thank you for listening to Life Changing Wellness. I'm Dr. Ward Bond. Have a blessed and healthy day.